I said, you know, I'm going to start a stand-up comedy club. And Melinda said, maybe you want to go to one first. Because <laughs> I had never been to a comedy club in my life. Which was really ironic because just a couple of streets away from me in Brooklyn, where I grew up, was Pips, the very first stand-up comedy club in the United States back in 1960-61. I didn't know it back then, and I walked past it every day to the fishing boats where I worked as a teenager, you know, 10 minutes from where I grew up. So I said, let me start a stand-up comedy club. We got back, and by the time we got to where we were going, I had the whole thing drafted in my head because I'm kind of a planner. I want to know where I'm going. Welcome listeners to Razzle Dazzle Radio here. I'm Carolyn Kellerman, and we've got a show about winners today. How they won, what they won, who could win again. It's really up to all the listeners to vote for these fabulous folks. So I'm going to turn it over to my co-host and co-producer, Judy Templeton, who's going to introduce us to our first two winners. Thanks, Carolyn. So yes, we do have two winners. Winners of what, you might ask? Well, I think they've kind of been winners from the minute that I met them. But today we're going to talk about their winners of the Howie Awards. If you don't know what the Howie Awards are, you soon will. And we're going to find out their life as I call them a creative couple. And Rich and Melinda have definitely lived their passion and they love what they've done and their passion shows and they're getting an award for it now. So, hey, that's pretty cool. So I'm going to take it back to uh, meeting. I believe I met Melinda first and I had the honor and pleasure of teaching her wonderful daughter. And um, she was an avid dance student of mine. And both Rich and Melinda were great supporters because anything that was good for their daughter was good for them. And they really supported her and, and supported me. And I appreciate that. Back in those days, Melinda, I'm going to go to you. You were working another kind of job. Of course, it was right near Slate House. So tell us about your career back in those days. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We had been in Columbia for about three years and I was going crazy because I didn't have enough to do. You know, I had and, and I found out there was a name for what I had it was called trailing spouse syndrome because my <laughs> husband had been transferred down here. And of course, you know, he had this exciting new job in Washington. Our kids were in school. They were making friends. And then there's me. You know, I, I love being a mom. I love doing things, but I've always been a very active person. I always worked. I, I've been working since I was like 16 years old and going to school and all. And it just, and now all of a sudden, once we got moved <laughs> in the house, got the house decorated and I'm standing around now, what do I do? And, you know, when you come to Columbia, at, when, when I came, when we came to Columbia, if you're at home all the time, it's hard to make friends. So I had very few friends and I found myself really moping around. And one day my beloved came in and we were talking about doing, doing, what can I do? What kind of business can I, I, I said, I want to do a business. I want to make some money. I don't want to just, you know, just stand around. So he uh, suggested, he said, well, you're always on the phone. He said, so why don't you, because I was always calling my friends in New York and New Jersey. And he said, why don't you do a business on the telephone? And I said, hmm, that's a thought. And I got started reading up on, at that time, telemarketing. 
And I said, wow, this is something I can do. And fast forward, uh, he came home and said one of his guys was saying, oh, he says, I hate cold calling so much. I'd pay somebody to do it. He said, let him pay you. That works for me. So I just started, we started, I started in the basement just with a phone and some numbers. And then I found uh, uh, my first client and my, then my third client and my 23rd client. And we moved out of the basement and into the Wild Lake. And that's when uh, we were next door. You were at Slayton House and Melissa was going to camp at Slayton House. So that worked out beautifully in the summertime. And it just was, the business got started. I got involved in the chamber. I got involved in economic development leadership Howard County and things just kept going and going and going and going. One of the first volunteer activities that I did was they had asked me to be on the marketing committee for the uh, arts council. I had no idea what the arts council was. If it meant me talking to people and getting out and meeting people, yes, I did it. So I will never forget. I went to a meeting. The first meeting I went to was at Beverly White Seals house. And I said, boy, this is a classy group. (laughs) I'm going to hang with them. And I was on that committee for a while, and I got familiar with the Arts Council. And then I was asked to be on the committee for Eva Anderson, who I'm sure Carolyn remembers. And I was on that marketing committee for a while. So just going around and doing that kind of stuff got me involved with the Arts Council, which I love. Melissa's dancing. And then later on, as she was in high school, she went to a school in Baltimore City, to an all-girls uh, Catholic school in Baltimore City. And she got involved in drama and dance and, and the stuff that she loved. And she would go to St. Joseph's High School, and Rich would go pick her up. And then he got interested in theater with uh, watching her and so forth. And I'll let him tell his own story. But it, it, we just kind of stayed involved in this in this and. You know, being in business, it was hard to do all the things I wanted to do with with arts and so forth. But I did. And and here, here we are now. Okay. Yeah. Now, that part, the early part of the story completely surprises me because I would never seen you as a shrinking violet, as you described, per se, or any of that. So the fact that you just turned it around, that's a great story. So sure, let's thanks. go back to you, Rich, and your early days, too, because, of course, we want to talk about how you sort of morphed your career around probably in a couple ways. So what was your early career here in Columbia? Well, in terms of theater and the arts, I was a founding member of the Fabulous 50-plus Players. Oh, yes, I choreographed for them. Yep, okay. I was a founding member, and the very first show was a variety show, and I played the MC. My role was to come out and introduce the next act. And Harriet was our director-writer, and she had written these little four-line things, and you come out and you say it, and then you get out of the way, and... The old folks would come out and sing and dance. And the best one was when I came out and I did line one and line two and line three. And then I said, I don't remember the rest of my lines. <laughs> and I walked off. <laughs> and I oh realized. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Harriet had a stroke on the site. We had to get her off the stage. But, <laughs> you know, it was a good laugh. The audience thought it was part of the writing. I, You know, you do that stuff. But I realized that I don't belong on a stage. So I took to writing, which I did a lot of writing at work. And I, I, I had a lot of confidence in terms of having something to say. 
So I started writing plays and quickly I said, who's going to produce my play? Nobody, me, I'll produce it. So I created something called Try It Out Theater. And I found Kathy Marshall to help me. Kathy Marshall is, without her, there is no theater in, in Columbia. Oh, uh, yes, even I love her. Even in Baltimore for many years. And she helped me get started. We produced a couple of the things I wrote. We found some other writers in the area. We produced their stuff. And then it became, the model we developed was, let's go find playwrights who write 10-minute plays. That's kind of the training ground for writers, playwrights, 10-minute pieces. Let's get a bunch of them together, and we'll get some actor types, could be anybody, and we'll read those things, script in hand, to an audience. And we did that on and off for 20 years. I don't know, we did hundreds, I don't know, 100 of them or whatever the number was. And some of those writers went on to be nationally known. Good things came from it. I kind of burned out on it. I don't know, six, eight, five, six, seven, eight years ago, I, which is actually a long time for me because I have about a two-year attention span. <laughs> so that was trying theater, and and it worked. It, it was it was good for the community. It was good for the writers, the audience, everybody. Yeah. A two-year attention span does it uh, come into our marriage because otherwise. <laughs> Because we've been just 51 years, so yeah, he, he's got a little longer attention span than that. <laughs> he was talking about in career, yeah. <laughs> not you <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, okay, so then, then it morphed into try it out comedy. So, take it from there because now we can see that on a regular basis. So, tell us about that. Okay, so we're riding on a New Jersey turnpike, which is a joke unto itself. Uh, <laughs> riding on the Jersey turnpike, going up to, Lynn and I argue, where were we going or coming? We were going. I think going we were going York. to Brooklyn to see our daughter. For Father's Day. Father's Day or something. And somewhere in the middle of New Jersey, I said, I need something to do because if I don't have a project, I get in trouble. Like, I get it. You know, <laughs> so I said, you know, I'm going to start a stand-up comedy club. And Melinda said, Maybe you want to go to one first, because <laughs> I had never been to a comedy club in my life, which was really ironic, because just a couple of streets away from me in Brooklyn, where I grew up, was Pips, the very first stand-up comedy club in the United States back in 1960-61. I didn't know it back then, and I walked past it every day to the fishing boats where I worked as a teenager, you know, 10 minutes from where I grew up. So I said, let me start a stand-up comedy club. We got back, and by the time we got to where we were going, I had the whole thing drafted in my head because I'm kind of a planner. I want to know where I'm going. And we cycled through. We got home. We went to a couple of clubs. I read a bunch online, and I said, you know what? I can do this. It's just a different topic. The, 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 the tasks remain the same. You got to gather players. You got to gather an audience. You got to get sell tickets. You got to get a venue. Just a different topic. Instead of plays, it'll be comedians. And I, I lucked out. I found some people jumped in to help me. Sandy Bernstein jumped in to help me. And we started five, little over five years ago right now. So how did you land at Busboys and Poets? Oh, when, when we were originally in this warehouse kind of coffee shop sort of place over on the other side of town, I did three Yeah, shows. I thought so. Okay, yeah. We were friends with Steve Wecker from 18th and 21st. 
Sure. Years, yeah. So I wrote mm-hmm. a plan and we went to Steve and said, Steve, we want to do something. And he said, you want to bring the theater here to my space? And I said, no, we want to bring comedy. He had no idea we were doing comedy. By then I had all of three shows worth of experience and I knew all there was to know. <laughs> so he said, <laughs> he gave us the space and, and Vince Collada, who was running the 18th and 21st part of their two spaces, Vince was great. He had he had run a comedy club in Baltimore for 15 years. So whatever I came in with, he had done it 100 times, and he just supported us. We played there. We I, I produced it all by myself. I had no help. And mm-hmm. it was bringing in new people, bringing in diversity, bringing in new talent. But I when, when the word came that Busboys was coming to town, I said, that's that's where we need to be, because we knew where it was going to be built. We had been at the groundbreaking. We had met Andy Shalal, the owner. Busboys owns eight or nine stores in the D.C., Baltimore region, all about diversity. I knew we fit there. Right. So I, I introduced myself at the groundbreaking, just had a 10-second conversation. Shortly after that, we had done by then, I think, 14 shows at 18th and 21st, and here comes COVID. Everything stops. Time to reopen. What to do? So I found a pizza place just to get back in business over on Snowden River Parkway, Home Slice Pizza. But I had in the back of my I didn't know that part. Okay. I had in in mind that we're going to get into Busboys as soon as Busboys is built. Mm -hmm. It was being built then, but it, it was like two years away still. So we played six, five or six shows in Home Slice Pizza over in Snowden. Guy was great. By then, Sandy Bernstein had started to help me, and she, her task was to go out and get the comics. My task was to run the event. By that, I mean what goes on before the comics, what goes on after the comics, dealing yeah. with the venues, selling tickets. That makes it an event rather than a comedy show. After Busboys got built and opened, I said, okay, we're going after it. So I approached them and said, I want to do the comedy show there. And we negotiated the space and how many months and rent, because there is rent, as you might imagine. And we brought the show in. And that space, this is the upstairs now at Busboys and Poets here in Columbia. It is, in my mind, the Madison Square Garden of Columbia. A hundred percent. It reminds me of New York. Absolutely. Whoever designed that place really knew what they were doing. The lighting, sound, the physical space. And it's got a sweet spot of 60 to 80 attendees. Started selling tickets, started selling out, which we did every show at 18th and 20th. We sold out every show. And we started selling out every show here at Busboys. Now we've done 40 shows. We do one a month. They're clean comedy. The comics come from everywhere. Sandy, again, Sandy Bernstein worries about the comics. I worry about selling tickets, keeping busboys on the job. And there we are. Let me jump in here because I think people might want to know how they're getting this award. So I'll bring it up to date here. So each year, the Howard County Arts Council seeks nominations from the community to honor those who create, teach, and support the arts. That's you guys. The nominations are reviewed, ranked, and selected by the Howie Award Committee, and then honored at the annual Celebration of the Arts Gala, which this year is November 4th, Saturday, November 4th, at the college. 
Nominees are judged on their contributions to and their impact on the artistic life of Howard County through the arts, arts education, and support of the arts. Winners are selected by the Howie Committee. So tell us how you learned about that you were winners and how do you feel about that? Well, we have a lot of friends in the community. Let's, let's just leave it at that, as you all know. Uh, one of my friends that just moved here from California said, we were out to dinner one night. She said, do you know every single person in Howard County? Because yeah. everybody was stopping by our table saying hello. And, and yeah, I said, well, I've been here for almost 40 years. So I know, you know, we know a lot of people. Well, we had uh, dinner one night with our dear friend, um, Ken Lundeen and his wife. And we started talking about, they came to the Tried Out Theater. They've been to the comedy, they still come to the comedy show many times whenever they're in town. And they just they just said, you guys are really, Ken said, I'm nominating you for the Howie Award. And I thought, yeah, right, that chance, we're going to win that. But he was, he said, yeah, he said, he said, send me this information. He told him, and he nominated us. And then we got these wonderful letters of support from some very dear friends. And just, I, I was crying when I, when I read each of them because they said, you know, we, we, we represented what Howard County is about. And I just, it just happened. And I talked to several people and they said, of course, why wouldn't you win? It just never occurred to me. And I've been to Howie Award. In fact, I helped years ago. You all remember Tatiana. Oh yeah, when Tatiana won a Howie Award, I helped her to put together her application. I was doing some work for her at the time. I helped her to put together her application and to um, prepare her acceptance speech and you know, we helped her to curate donation for the uh, for the Arts Council from her beautiful, beautiful work. And so I was very familiar with it. And it was just, I never saw myself, I never saw us get, getting an award for it, but it happened. And when we got the news, I was, I was dumbfounded. I really was. I was speechless. And, you know, that's not something that happens to me very often, but I was speechless when we got <laughs> Well, um, so Carolyn, to also piggyback on the thoughts and, and explain too. So how long has the celebration of the arts been going on? Because it's been quite a while, as I recall. So Yeah, 40 years, I guess, at least. Well, okay, so that's a that's definitely a long time. And so how it all started, I will yes. say that. Toby and I were at a meeting when they were trying to gather some people to produce this new event, the Rising Stars Gala. And I looked at her and it was right around the time that, what's that show that's called? It's not So You Think You Can Dance, it's it's the, the singing one. American Idol, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Just came on. So I looked at her, I said, so what do you think, Tobe? Let's let's think about doing an American Idol kind of show and bring in people they can vote on them, right? And that's how it really got started. So Toby, of course, has a name, and they said we she volunteered to put it together the show. So there it was, the first one, and the yeah. first winner of I don't know who the first Howie Award went to, but the first winner of the Artist Award was Alicia Graff. When she walked onto the stage in a white long dress with her leg extended high above her ear, 
and she she did a spiritual dance, real, real, you know, very organic, very modern, very, you know, powerful. And when she the first note and she walked on, I knew she would win. I knew she would win, and she did. So, oh, that's and, a great story. And speaking of winners, I have an email from another winner we had on our show previously, Gabriel Gabriel Hightower mm-hmm. with yep. a cellist, and he won. That cup, what year did he win? 2020. And he writes, the Rising Star 2020 competition answered, empowered me and gave me more confidence in my ability to perform. I currently play with the Alexandria Symphony Orchestra in Virginia, Iris Orchestra as an Iris Artist Fellow in Memphis, Tennessee, and serve as an in-school fellow with Memphis Music Initiative. I'm performing and teaching around the greater Memphis area and look forward to continued community engagement concerts that positively impact the community. I also just finished filming with a production company in Nashville for an Intel commercial. None of this would have been possible if I hadn't competed and won the Rising Star competition. The competition helped me believe in myself and look forward to whatever the future takes me in my musical studies. We had him on as a guest of Razzle Dazzle Radio, and he's just delightful, and I'm so glad he won, and I voted oh. for him. When, <laughs> just so. yeah, just in case we wanted though, right? Exactly, and we should mention too that the whole part of the celebration of the arts is again celebrating those uh, that have made major contributions in the arts <laughs> in the area, and those are called the Howie Awards. And then there's the Rising Stars, which is just the way it sounds. It's those. <laughs> that are working their way up in the arts and then have the opportunity to win a nice sum of money to help them towards their career. And so for the last 40 years, we've had some big winners uh, that have, you know, moved on to other places, just as Gabriel described. And so that's pretty exciting. And so you get to, so the cool thing is, um, Carolyn, your vision and dream did come true because, you know, you literally vote right there that night and you get to hear who the winners are. And then we celebrate, like I said, the Howie Award winners, which of course we'll be celebrating. Melinda and Rich, it is an event that's dress up and fun and exciting. At, and it is on November 4th at the college. So you get your tickets for sure, please, because it's a not to be missed event that way. So the history of that is important for us to know. And the Artist Award this year is our good friend and designer from New Zealand, right? Mm-hmm. Right, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah Anderson. So I imagine some of her Lee Anderson's models greeting us as we come into the theater. Oh, that is going to add excitement and drama for sure. I know. So, well, actually, speaking of artists, in the, at the very beginning, one of my dear friends, Shar Rice, was commissioned to do the actual huge campus of the celebration of the arts and then it sat over at the Cradle Rock Library for a very long time. She asked me to go to New York before she painted it so she could get inspired by kind of a cubism style of art and Mm -hmm. I say this because now Melinda is a visual artist too (laughs) and has been embarking on a new career in painting so tell us about what's going on with you that way. Okay. You worked the fact that in there. And uh, Judy is now my classmate in my abstract artist class. 
Yeah. But yeah, this is a story about saving of a marriage. Let's put it this way. <laughs> Listen in. <laughs> During COVID, we thought, okay, this is going to a couple of weeks. We'll be fine. And Richard, as I said, have been married for 51 years. So we're used to each other. And we've always been like, you do your thing. I do my thing. And we do our thing together. And that's fine. Well, it, it the, that balance shifted during COVID. And it was all of a sudden we were doing our thing together for too much of it, huh? Day, seven days a week. I hear <laughs> the you. Farthest, the farthest I could get, you could get away was the bathroom. The farthest I could get away was the other bathroom. So we just, so finally I said, well, I got to find something for him to do. I have no trouble at all amusing myself. But he um, he started to get restless, couldn't do the comedy show, couldn't get out. So I said, okay, I know what we can do. He loved to do jigsaw puzzles, but he got tired of that. So I said, I'm going to get him a paint-by-numbers kit for Christmas. So I'm on Amazon for night shopping for Christmas, and he's, um, you know, walking around <laughs> sighing a lot. So I got the paint-by-numbers. I said, well, I'll get one for him and one for me, and we can paint by numbers together. So we open our Christmas presents on Christmas Day, and he looks at his paint by numbers kit and said, "What's this?" And I said, "It's paint by numbers." And he said, "I'm not doing this." And that was the <laughs> that was the beginning and end of his artistry. <laughs> so now I've got two paint by numbers kits. So when I ran out of books to read and Real Housewives to watch and you know, home decorating shows. I said, let me, uh, let me do, um, let me try this paint by numbers. And I picked up a brush. I had not painted anything but my fingernails in 75 years. And so I started doing it and I loved it. So I finished his kit. I finished my kit. Then I ordered another kit. And the, and the next thing I know, I'm painting like crazy. All my friends are going, okay, we have enough art. We don't need it anymore. But now all of a sudden I got this big thing of leftover paint. And I say, what do I do with it? And I, I cannot draw. I don't know how to draw. I, can, I can't draw a straight line. But I do love putting things together. I, I was a needle pointer for almost 50 years. And I love doing my own designs and making abstract and primarily abstract designs. And I said, huh, this can transfer to painting. And I did. And all of a sudden, I started painting. And I went to a um, show over at the 3rd. It was the first year they were open. And they had this show called Wilcax, Women of Color Art Exhibit. And I met this woman there. Her name was Alma Roberts. And she was doing exactly what I was trying to do. Only mm -hmm. she could she could do it. So I was just standing here admiring her work. And I told her, I said, this is what I want to do. And she said, well, have you done anything? And I said, well, a few pieces. But I was, you know, and she said, let me see. So I pulled out my phone and I showed her. And she said, you know, you should do this. You're off to a great start. Mm. And that was the beginning. So mm -hmm. the next thing I know, I've got my own parking spot at Michael's. Rich, Rich is hauling canvases, and we just got a loaded here of frames and stuff. And a year later, I did. Uh, Laura, in fact, Laura told me she said she said you were doing the Wilcox show. She had seen a couple of my little my little beginning piece. 
She said, you're doing that. Show. I said, I, I can't do it. She said, you're doing it. So I sent them my application along with some samples of my work. And I did the show. It was almost exactly a year later after I had been there and met Alma and gotten encouraged. And she, I kept in touch with her. And we have another dear friend up in Harford County who's an artist. And she's been helping me with, you know, composition. And she, it's like having a private tutor. She's 88 years old and has been painting her whole life. Mm. So she forgot more than I'll ever learn about painting. And I went back to Wokex with my little paintings. And can I brag? Uh, well, I of course, brag? shameless self-promotion invited. Absolutely. All right. I sold 12 paintings at that first. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that is just. I am comparing myself to the greats, you know. I am the next Joan Mitchell. I am the next Jackson Pollock. I am the next somebody. I don't know. But anyway, so um, I've been doing it now. I just did a second show on Sunday, which was very small in somebody's home, but I did sell some more. And I'm getting more and more creative as the time goes. And I have my critic here who says, I think that needs to be purple or, you know, something like that. And generally he's right. So. That's where we are. I'm donating a piece for the gala. So I think we can all see why Melinda and Rich won the Howie Award. And as I say, I adore them because they are a true creative couple. They're a couple of creatives. They have recreated themselves and it's thrilling. The next Try It Out Comedy, Rich, I believe is November 6th. Am I right about that? Monday night, November 6th, yeah. Two nights yep, after the At play. Plus Boys and Poets, the cool nightclubish place on the top that reminds us all of NYC. And of course, lastly, show up for the Celebration of the Arts on November 4th at Howard Community College. This is Judy Templeton and my friend and co-director star, Carolyn Kellerman on Razzle Dazzle Radio. Until next time. with us. We are Dragon Digital Media Podcast.